0: You are listening to DermCast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. I'm super lucky this morning because this is my second favorite topic to talk about, um, which is eczema. And if you're a pediatric dermatologist, you better like treating eczema because literally, as Jim said, sometimes it's 50% of my day. So the fact that I am an investigator for Regeneron Pharmaceuticals is relevant to this topic, Um, and we have four learning objectives today. So let's. Teach each other how to go about intensive topical therapies for your babies, the infants and children with atopic dermatitis. Let's talk about eczema prevention strategies. Let's learn how to do the wet wraps, and we're gonna talk a little bit about bleach baths which is also another favorite topic of mine um, for the for management of atopic dermatitis. I know you probably all see a lot of baby eczema as well. And I know I'm speaking to the choir when I say that gosh, eczema can be really time-consuming, frustrating. Parents feel like they have been there, done that, done everything, have every cream, and they are very nihilistic by the time they get to you. They're like, well, you can't do anything. We've done all of that. What you're selling, we're not buying. So it's frustrating for everyone, but it's very expensive to the healthcare system. So I would propose that we need to be doing a better job here. Um, we spend a lot on this quality of life. The, the the impact on quality of life for babies and their families, especially, um, can't be underestimated. In some studies, it's been shown to equal that of type one diabetes and asthma. You know, life-threatening um, conditions, and we all know that every aspect of that family is is really kind of. Stressed and challenged when they walk into your office. Sleep, interpersonal um, relationships, ability to go to work. But it's 2019. Excellent results are possible, and I'm here to tell you that most babies, 99% of infants that walk through the door, can be successfully managed with topical therapies. So here is where we're going to learn together how to take a baby like this with impetiginized, you know, in- atopic dermatitis to here. This child who clearly hasn't bathed in several weeks from here to here. These are all two week before and after photos. So management of atopic dermatitis in 2019, we we need to remember that atopic dermatitis is a skin barrier dysfunction. We're gonna talk about prevention bleach baths, and how we do an intensive um, topical therapy regimen for atopic dermatitis that I like to call eczema boot camp, and then we'll spend a little time on the emerging biologic therapy, dupilumab. So if we go back to basics, at the very first visit with that family who has a three-month-old that's just manifesting the signs of atopic dermatitis, it really helps to tell them, you know, we now feel like we know what the primary, you know, problem is here with your baby. This is a skin barrier dysfunction. Your skin's, your, your baby's skin is not really keeping water in the way it should, and it's not keeping allergens and antigens out the way it should, nor is it keeping the staph aureus off the skin in a way that it should. And this skin barrier dysfunction leads to all the things we see, the increased colonization, the increased um, allergenic sensitivity, which increases the risk for food allergies over time, and it shifts the immune response from that more healthy Th1 type to the Th2 sort of allergic diathesis, causing ultimately down the road the immune dysregulation. So I've often wondered in my clinic, you know, what are the earliest signs of skin barrier dysfunction? Are there infant predictors that we can look at that might tell us, like, which baby is going to go on and get eczema? And I do think that neonates exhibit early signs of skin barrier dysfunction, and it may manifest in these clinical presentations. So severe seborrheic dermatitis or cradle cap, baby acne, cephalic pustulosis, and early atopic dermatitis before three months of age um, are all in my opinion, and we've studied this in in our clinic. We have a paper coming out in pediatric dermatology talking about this this topic in in our infants, but these are really early signs that the skin barrier is not performing at its optimum. So we looked at about 455 patients in our clinic between zero and three months of age, and we looked for these three predictors. And it turns out the presence of any one of these diagnoses before three months of age resulted in an eight relative risk increase in the development of atopic dermatitis. So when we talk about prevention, we want to be identifying as early as possible so that we can maybe implement some of those strategies. And what are those strategies? Well, you've probably all heard about these emollient studies that have led to bigger clinical trials um, looking at the use of barrier repair early on in our neonates. So in these two studies, one from um, the U.K. and North America and one from Japan, infants were randomized to receive a moisturizer right from birth. Um, head to toe, and the moisturizer varied a little bit, but it actually turned out that the, the very act of moisturizing the baby resulted in up to 50% risk reduction for signs of atopic dermatitis at six months, and thankfully, there were no moisturizer-related adverse events, and I think this is practice changing, and there's a larger study going on to validate this emollient effect, but I think we've all seen this in clinic. You know, if we get to these infants really early, and we teach the proper skincare and barrier Repair, they ultimately do much better. Um, Another interesting um, thought is what what else can we do to prevent atopic dermatitis? Because it seems that children in rural environments might have less or less allergy or less asthma, and it turns out that in children with allergic parents, two early exposures seem to be protective against atopic dermatitis, especially the early persistent phenotype, and that is having a cat or dog or early exposure to yogurt under 12 months. So those are just interesting tidbits that if you're talking to the families, you can kind of add You know, if you have a pet that seems to be protective, you definitely want to be doing those early food introductions because we all know that now the earlier that we have the foods, the gut tolerance seems to be better. So in terms of eczema prevention, what can you do on that first visit? Well, grease is good. Talk talk about early moisturization, um, prenatal cat or dog exposure, and early exposure to food. Um, This is my son in a bleach bath. Um, Sodium hypochlorite has been around as a disinfectant um, cleanser since, you know, the 18th century, and most pediatric dermatologists use it regularly in their practice and consider it a gold standard, I would say, for treatment of atopic dermatitis. And what you can tell the families is that it's really no different than a swimming pool. It acts to reduce the colonization and crusting, kind of helps to debride all of that off, that kind of dead skin surface off, and the clinical benefit for all of us has always seemed a little bit greater than just the antimicrobial effect. And so we wonder, is there more to this story? Well, it turns out that maybe there is. It, it, at least in mice, it has been shown that the sodium hypochlorite, might downregulate the NF-kappa-beta pathway, which is the same inflammatory pathway that topical steroids, topical calcineurins work through to reduce inflammation. So could this be anti-inflammatory as well as antimicrobial? I think there are some recent studies showing that the dilute bleach bath doesn't really alter the microbiome that much. So rather than being antimicrobial, could there be an anti-inflammatory component to this? And I think we're going to find out more about it over time. So here's what we know about bleach baths when you look at all the evidence. They're safe, they're inexpensive, they reduce staph aureus colonization, they do not increase dryness or transepidermal water loss, they do not impact the pH of the stratum corneum, and they do not lead to antimicrobial resistance. So what is the controversy here? Well, I think that a recent meta-analysis actually might suggest that the benefit is from the actual tub bathing and soaking, and maybe it isn't the bleach, and I think we still have a lot more to learn about this. Um, In this meta-analysis, five studies were compared, looking at both children and adults. And there are some weaknesses here, because these studies were very heterogeneous and even included the use of a sodium hypochlorite-containing cleanser. So I think this data is difficult to interpret, but we do need better studies on this. Um, However, after I've been at this for 10 years and 50% of my practice is eczema, I can honestly tell you that those kids who are doing the dilute bleach baths do much better than those who aren't. So here's how you do them. Um, You tell the family that they need to put in about a half a cup of regular plain bleach, or a third of a cup of concentrated bleach into a full bathtub, you know, about four to six inches of water um, a few times a week, uh, or more if you're going to do really intensive topical therapies. And the message here, this is similar to a swimming pool. You need to, and it's safe to, expose head and neck because after all, that's where babies get most of their first infantile eczema, is on the head and neck. But a warning here, not all bleach is bleach. So you have to know what's out there in Target because Splashless, Color safe, Chloromax, all of these different varietals are lining the shelves and it is getting harder and harder to find the right bleach. We actually stock it in our pharmacy and in our clinic, our nurses have been so wonderful. They actually wrote the hospital and we got a grant. And so we now can provide the patients with a bag full of everything they need before they go home, which has really helped with um, compliance to dilute bleach baths and wet wraps, let me tell you. So what can we do to take this child who is scaly, itchy, erythrodermic even, um, here like Kenified, that nipple dermatitis, a very sensitive sign for atopic dermatitis, how can we take him and get him better quickly and safely, and what's the evidence? Well, I think the best evidence in this for infantile atopic dermatitis, and even all the way through childhood, is for wet wraps. And so the Mayo Clinic did a, a nice little study just showing and demonstrating the safety and efficacy and the utility of wet wraps in their cohort over 30 years of inpatient wet wraps, where they do it very regularly. Um, most patients get very rapid improvement, really very few adverse events. Um, in this study, most of their patients received oral antibiotics. I'll tell you, it's not routine. We don't need oral antibiotics all the time, nor do we want to be giving oral antibiotics for every child that has a little staph aureus colonization. They pretty much all have it. So here is this baby with, lichenified, like, erythrodermic, horrible, um, you know, 100% body surface area involvement before and after inpatient wet wrap therapy. So you can clear them quickly um, and pretty pretty well just in a few days. So how do you do it? What is intensive topical therapy for atopic dermatitis? Well, basically it's bleach baths, wet wraps, topical steroids, and emollients. And that's really the main tools that you need. But I will emphasize that education here is super important. You need to spend the time um, because that first visit is utterly crucial. If, if they um, aren't buying in, um, you'll lose them, and that's the hard part about eczema too, the challenge. The good thing about intensive topical therapies is that you can do it most of the time as outpatient. You can teach your families how to do this. And so what I call eczema boot camp in my, fam- in, in my clinic is that you know when kids come in covered head to toe like this child, we set up a two-week really intensive plan with very close follow-up to get them back in clinic and so that we can kind of um, taper down and reduce. But how we do it, how to optimize topical therapy is that you need bleach. You need some topical steroid of your choice. My, main one that I would say is a go-to for infantile that you can use everywhere for at least, you know, for two weeks is Triamcinolone, but the low strength, the 0.025. I like Vaseline or Aquaphor in terms of an an ointment-based emollient, and then damp cotton pajamas or a onesie. And so you need to discuss all of these elements at the same time. Talk about why you're recommending this treatment, that you're treating the dry skin, the itch, the inflammation and infection all at the same time, and you're going to take a culture. I find this really helpful. Now, we all know that that culture is going to grow staph aureus, in some cases, it does surprise you, and you'll find strep on the skin, especially in intertriginous um, involvement or behind the ear. I find there's a lot of strep there, and then if there is group A strep, you know, colonization or ov- overt impetiginization, that's a situation where I think oral antibiotics are a little bit more helpful. The utility of taking the culture, though, is to help with compliance, because once you have a culture that says, oh, this is heavy staph aureus, it's clindamycin resistant, are you doing your bleach baths in a couple of days on the phone, this kind of reinforces, oh, I, th- I think maybe th- this is a good idea, and so I think it enhances compliance. So here's how I would you know, give my handouts in clinic. Um, immerse your child in a tub bath in lukewarm water nightly. This is important. A lot of people have very different bathing practices for their infants. They might shower with them. They might be kind of sponge bathing them. They might have one of the tubs that just has a sponge where you like lie the baby on a sponge. And so there's all different types of bathtubs. And I think verifying how is that child soaking? Because I think it's part of the soaking um, that is really one of the most key concepts here. These babies do need to soak. They don't need any soap. For the first two weeks, almost every child that leaves my clinic will be doing a dilute bleach bath every single night. After the bleach bath, they get out, pat dry, you put the medicine, the topical triamcinolone or whatever you feel comfortable using on affected areas, including the face, Um, follow with a thick emollient such as Vaseline or Aquaphor. I prefer ointments in babies. There's no reason that we need anything fancy or expensive here. Um, and then in the, and, and this is then followed by a damp pajama, so a cotton onesie um, that you can wet under warm water, squeeze it out, and kind of put on the baby. You can put a dry one over top, but most babies tolerate this really, really, really well. It's the children who are five and older who really kind of give us a hard time with wet wraps, but we try, we do our best. So this really, this intensive topical therapy, these four things you're doing can take these kids from here to here this poor guy. And these are all two weeks after intensive topical therapy, but boy, that first visit takes a really long time. So close follow-up is really crucial to the success of intensive topical therapy. I think you need to call with that culture result to enhance compliance with the bathing and the bleach baths. A two-week follow-up visit is also essential because you don't need to be doing wet wraps for months at a time. It's really just a quick way to cool everyone down. At that visit, we'll often taper a lot of things, including the bleach baths, but a daily bath and emollient application is sort of the non-negotiable. That's what they're gonna be doing every day for the foreseeable future is a bath and Vaseline. Um and then certainly, if there are a, if there are some more stubborn areas like the wrist or ankles that aren't getting occluded with the wet wraps, you can add maybe a slightly stronger topical steroid at that time just for hot spots. Sometimes that's not needed. and then you taper um, the wet wraps, taper the bleach baths, and I usually will see everyone then again at four weeks. but we we are entering a new era in atopic dermatitis therapy, and that is the era of biologics. And we'd never thought we'd see it, but wow, it's, um, it's kind of gonna change the landscape here. So all of you have probably been aware of dupilumab, the monoclonal antibody against IL-4 and 13. And these are the TH2 cytokines that are really important in basically all allergic diseases. And there was FDA approval first for adults in 2017, and this is the first systemic targeted therapy for eczema Ever. I'm not going to go into the impressive results in the Lancet studies for which they obtained their FDA approval, but I will say that the safety profile has been excellent. Um, lab monitoring is not really necessary. Most um, of, of the physicians that are using dupilumab would sort of classify this more as an immunomodulatory medicine rather than immunosuppressive, but we do need more data down the line to figure out what you know long-term impacts this will have. Um, side effects have been mild: injection site reactions, ocular symptoms, headache, maybe a few more URIs, and some, but minor HSV um, reactivation. What about in children? It's being used off-label now. There's been several reports and um, in, in the literature on its use. And then we had a new asthma indication in October 2018, and just this January an atopic dermatitis indication, and that's for 12 and over. And that led to a new dosing. There's a 200 milligram syringe now. The other ones for adult um, dosing are 300. And there are two clinical trials that are underway right now in children ages six months to six years. One of those clinical trials I do recruit for at my site at the University of Minnesota. Um, And I think it's just really important As pediatric dermatologists and the pediatricians among our group and primary care and peds that we take take a step back and think about how great it is that we are including children in these randomized controlled trials kids have been left out of this they were left out of the psoriasis biologics and still then we just use everything off-label not really knowing what what we're doing Um, so I do think that this is a good thing it should be done safely um, and but I do think it's really important, and so I'm really excited about this avenue. When we think about other tools in our toolbox for eczema, they become kind of rapidly less attractive. Um, all of the other systemic meds, again, we're using off label for pediatric atopic dermatitis, cyclosporine, methotrexate, mycophenolate, mofetil, all have their own degree of serious adverse side effects that can come up, all require close lab monitoring. So when we're weighing the two in a in, in a child um, it's very tempting to use dupilumab off-label the problem is then what is our optimal dosing how do we get it approved by insurance it's expensive there is certainly a lack of long-term data we are all concerned about some unanticipated side effect later on but we're able to get approval um, because the alternatives are, are are you know i would say not as attractive um, and our team right now has over 30 patients on dupilumab, and we recently received approval all the way down to two years of age. And I just wanted to share with you a couple of cases, because this is one of my 12-year-olds, my most, one of my most horrible eczema patients. The pruritus was out of proportion. I worked her up for you know every you know renal insult or even lymphoma that might be associated with pruritus out of proportion to what you would expect. But she had horrible recalcitrant eczema her entire life. Um, she failed intensive topical therapies, failed phototherapy, failed cyclosporin. And three months after dupixent is has a new life. Really, she can go back to school. She had been off, to, off school for for several months before we started. So we're really excited about how this has had a very positive impact on her quality of life. And this is one of my adolescents with um, that more kind of like Kenified, perigenized variant of e- eczema. And I think there are different phenotypes of atopic dermatitis out there, and um, it probably says something more about the disease that we'll find in the future. But this is particularly troublesome. This skin is so thickened, and it gets very picked and prurigenized, and he was 11, um, had failed intensive topical therapies, and after 10 months of dupilumab, doing great. This is one of my other patients, another really severe patient. We have a very large Somali population um, in Minneapolis. And so you know some days 20% of my patients are are Somali and they do tend to have a lot of really severe eczema. And this is another one with more of a hypertrophic lichenified like, um, type of atopic dermatitis. I actually biopsied this, this child because I was worried maybe I was missing hypertrophic lichen planus or something else, but this is all just horribly lichenified, atopic dermatitis. Um, failed inpatient wet wraps, outpatient wet wraps, horrible um, paritis, and dupilumab is having a really great impact on him as well. This is another eight-year-old girl who I've treated who had atopic dermatitis and a diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome. I won't get into that disease too much, but symptoms of flushing, itching, um, other nonspecific symptoms that she had all seemed to get better. I don't know if it's the dupilumab or not, but certainly her eczema um, has improved. And this little girl wants me to show you her face today because she is one of my also most severe patients. I've been treating her for four years. Um, she's now nine. She has failed everything. She got very hypertensive on cyclosporin, and so we had to discontinue it. She was having some benefit, and we finally were able to get dupilumab approved. And then, you know, eight months later, she's, it's been very life-changing. So it's really exciting. We are nervous about what the dosing should be. And there was this nice little table um, in a recent manuscript by Elaine Siegfried um, and others that show that the dosing could mirror that um, in adults. And so for over 60 kilos, the same adult dose would apply. If the children are 20 to 60, you know, 150 to 200, which works out to be about 3 to 6 mg per kg, I think is reasonable. But if you have children with severe eczema, um, we are able to get this um, off-label, but it does require a peer-to-peer, and I've done over 30 peer-to-peers um, in the last year and a half for this drug. Now, certainly, prevention is optimal. We don't want to have to go to dupilumab. It's expensive. It's, a, you know, it's, it's an injection, and there are certainly a lot of long-term questions here. Um, so prevention is optimal. If you can identify those babies with the infant predictors, the really severe cradle cap, and just start really early with bathing and emollients and that early skin barrier repair, um, I guarantee you, you will have a positive impact on that child's development of atopic dermatitis. And so you need to spend the time, and that's one thing that I, that I always tell, um, especially my primary care colleagues, is that you have to teach them the basics. You have to teach them what you all already know. And then consider using intensive topicals right off the bat, because your patients will be really, really grateful. Here's a note from one of my little eight-year-olds um, before and after wet wrap therapy. So you can see she's feeling a little better. And here she says, dear doctor, um, PS, the wet pajamas aren't that bad. So even children in mid-childhood can do them and do them successfully. Um, So take-home points with atopic derm. It's a disorder of the skin barrier. We know it's not a food allergy. We know it's not an immune system problem. That all comes later. Um, Regular application of emollients can reduce the risk for developing atopic dermatitis. We should be doing this, all of us, all the time. Almost all patients are infected or colonized, so please consider using dilute bleach baths early. Um, there's no age limit to which I will do a bleach bath. I'll do it in a newborn. I, I don't think it is problematic at all. Um, intensive topical therapies are safe and effective, and excitingly, we're on the cusp of a new era, and that is you know, emerging biologic therapies for this disease that has really had no attention in the last two decades. So thanks for your attention, and I'd love to take some questions. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.